Marini's Media. Totally Football Show, European edition. Back and ready for the European League's new season, even though they're not. Still, Liga is underway. We ask, after lighting up Lisbon, could Lyon make a title race of it? We get news from Serie A and the Bundesliga too. And with a brand new Liga campaign beginning this weekend, there's the latest on Barca and the Flea Circus as Messi prepares to join his new side, FC Nominative Determinism. All that and more in this Toadie Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello everybody and welcome to a brand new a season of European flavoured Tootley shows uh, with the usual gang. James Horncastle is with us. Hello James. Hello. Julien Laurence is here. Bonjour James. Bonjour to you Jules and uh, guten tag Raphael Honigstein. Hi James. Also hola Alvaro Romeo. Hola James. How are you? Wow. Good to hear those sounds again. Alrighty. It's Tuesday, September the 8th, everybody. Some leagues are already underway. Some way off restarting. This weekend, of course, there was only the one league in action. The Nations League. Woof. Who had a good time with their Nations League viewing? All right, then. <laughs> Ansu Fati did. Ansu Fati did. Thank you, Alvaro. Let's talk about it. Well, he became the youngest ever scorer uh, with the Spanish uh, national shirt. And um, he is not only that, he is also the youngest ever scorer in the Champions League. So this guy is definitely something, at least at this young age, he's capable of uh, deciding games. And this is very refreshing in, in Spanish football because Spain um, didn't do well in World Cup 2014, 2018. And uh, Ansu Fati seems to be a player who can actually make Spain do a leap forward and uh, perhaps uh, start uh, being more decisive up front. He is, he or rather he was, 17 years and 311 days old when he scored breaking a record that has stood for 95 years. 18-year-old Juan Erathkin, who scored a hat-trick against Switzerland in 1925. Woof. All right, then. Um, that was as part of the 4-0 victory over Ukraine on Sunday, which came after a 1-1 draw with Germany, uh, which saw De Gea playing a starring role. Is that right? Yeah, David De Gea was excellent against Germany. He did a couple of really good one-on-one uh, -on -one saves and... Uh, uh, this is very important for him because over the last year uh, there has been plenty of question marks over David De Gea. Then, fortunately for De Gea, there were question marks over Kepa as well. And the third goalkeeper, whoever that person is, Unai Simon from Athletic de Bilbao or Pau from Roma, are not still, I think, that qualified to, to be the Spanish keeper. So it was David De Gea, Kepa or nobody. Unfortunately, David De Gea is stepping up. And uh, yeah, uh, he is Luis Enrique's goalkeeper and Luis Enrique has reiterated over the last few days that David De Gea is going to be his number one goalie. Rafa, two 1-1 one -one draws now for uh, Germany. In fact, uh, having been saved from relegation by the reformatting of this competition, Germany still haven't won any of their matches in the tournament, in either this or the previous tournament so far. It's not a big priority for Die Mannschaft. I mean, Joachim Löw afterwards said that the results are not part of the the real important things of these games, he's looking at the performances, he's looking at the development of certain players, he's tried certain players. Robin Gorsens had his debut at last, um, both against Spain and against uh, Switzerland, the Atalanta wingback. Um, but it's not as if Germany are not taking these games uh, seriously. I mean, they wanted to win and they were vocal in some of the frustrations. Ilka Gundogan, Gundogan said, I'm, I'm pissed that we didn't win this game. And uh, that it was uh, getting on his balls. Uh, the fact that Germany had given away yet another lead uh, quite carelessly. You know, against Spain, they conceded, I think, in the 96th minute. Against Switzerland, they conceded after going 1-0 up and having lots of chances. Uh, probably should have lost the game even at the end because they completely fell apart. And Löw had this very strange system, uh, which is a 3-4-3, but with men marking all over the pitch. So when Germany were not in possession, um, Kroos, I think, was on Shaka and followed Shaka all the way around the pitch. It was very strange to see. Uh, I don't think a um, fully 
accomplished uh, version of this tactical idea, but something that um, I think will you know will be chalked up as as an experience, as Germany are as you said still looking for that elusive first win in this competition. Remarkable, uh, Italy who'd done nothing but win, James. In their friendlies of late, what was it, 11 straight victories? It came to an end, though, at the hands of Bosnia-Herzegovina, uh, thanks to a goal by Edin Dzeko and Roberto Mancini's glasses. <laughs> yes, because Giorgio Chiellini was supposed to make his comeback for the national team. He is the captain. Uh, he's obviously spent the last year out injured uh, for the most part, and they thought that this would be a way of easing him back in, even though it was a... Uh, a Nations League game and uh, unfortunately there was a bureaucratic error because Francesco Cerbi the Lazio centre-back who's been taking his place whilst he's been out he was the guy whose name was on the list um, and uh, they wanted to change it but couldn't do it in time because it would have meant that a Cerbi who was in the starting line would have to be taken out of the squad altogether and they didn't have enough centre-backs and yeah poor Mancho his eyesight failing him as he's getting on there are some grey hairs uh, in that sort of lovely sort of coiffure that he has got. Yeah, he basically said, I didn't see that, that Acerbi was on the list rather than Chiellini because I didn't have my glasses with me. Yeah. Do you believe that story? Uh, I I believe that there was some embarrassment at uh, a mistake being made. Um, now, hang on, which list? There's the squad list? Well, the list for the, the... When they gave the first team starting 11 to the UEFA delegate... Um, th at that moment in time, once UEFA had it, they couldn't then change it. Well, they, they could they, they couldn't basically take Achebe out of the starting eleven, put him on the bench. They, he'd have to go into the stands and out of out of the match day squad altogether. Um, it wasn't a simple thing where you could just basically say if someone gets injured in the warm up, you just replace him. It was so yeah. Ultimately, it didn't really have much of a bearing on the game because. Um, Yes, Italy conceded, but I think the story of, 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 of it for the most part was that they had a lot of the ball, possession was sterile, they didn't create many chances, both teams hit the post, um, Italy were without Marco Verratti and Jorginho, they didn't really have the kind of same fluency that they, they've had in midfield under, under Roberto Mancini, um, and uh, they weren't really able to create enough chances to get Andrea Bellotti into the game. Uh, and that didn't really change when Chirio Mobile came on. So, you know, in some respects, I think the wider question about the Nations League is why why are we playing Nations League games um, only, what, a matter of days before the start of the Premier League season, a week or so before La Liga, Bundesliga and Serie A comes back? Um, could they not have just basically tanked this project for a year or something because there are bigger priorities at play right now than you know infantino's little things going on i know it's better than friendlies but it's, you know um, ultimately we have Chefferin, got no it's not infantino it's yeah. Chefferin. Ah, it's well you know i mean whatever it's, it's all part uh, of the same <laughs> same lizard race james yeah. sitting on holidays well right. i haven't had a holiday that's why i'm making mistakes like this i'm like roberto right. mancini at the moment well how am i supposed to link to the big game on tuesday then you've just effectively rendered it in touch well the big game's meaning. tonight so it's going to yeah. come out so okay it's so there's the big out. game tonight as italy take on holland which is yeah. dramatic and then how about that rematch of the world cup final coming up on tuesday as france take on croatia jules yeah, that's right, James. Um, we're two years on after the, the, the World Cup final. And I think both teams, especially France, have changed a lot. Deschamps is trying a new system, 3-4-1-2 formation, uh, which he tried back in November against Albania. That worked quite well. He tried it again on Saturday night against Sweden in Sweden, which didn't really work that well at all. I'm, I'm very sceptical, I have to be honest, with Griezmann as a number 10 and then Giroud and Mbappé up front. I just, I'm not sure... It's very that those players can complement each other well in that system. I think you rely then a lot on your two wing backs. So it would be interesting to see the formation against Croatia um, tonight. But uh, yeah, I've got a lot of question marks about it. I, I, I like, on one hand, I like the fact that Deschamps is trying something new because, let's be honest, he's been very pragmatic and, and France have been quite boring at times and they've won the World Cup in a, in a very, in quite a defensive way. But, but then he tries for something that is maybe even more defensive than what he had before. So I'm just, I'm not convinced. All right. Croatia, meanwhile, who got pumped the other day by Portugal in, in, in fine fashion, as you probably saw a 4-1 win for a Cristiano Ronaldo-less 
uh, Selesau outfit. Uh, that's probably enough Nations League then, eh? If we lose James Hallcastle altogether, it'll be back in October. Plenty of time to discuss it then. How about or you ramp up the excitement still further by addressing the one major European league that's already underway, three weeks in, Liga. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, take out a 30-day trial to see their unrivaled coverage of each and every Premier League club by heading to theathletic.com slash totally. That's right, League uh, Rafa, James, Alvaro, here's your chance to get your questions in. About Le Championnat to Jules. Perhaps you're wondering, fans back, how's that working out in France? And Niko Kovac at Monaco, can he really be second in the table? And what about Lyon? They're not in Europe. So far, they've managed to hang on to most of the team that lit up Lisbon. Could they make a title race of it? Rafa, what's most on your mind? Well, I have a transfer rumour question for Jules. Memphis Depay is off to Barcelona. Well, I think uh, I think that's right, Rafa. Certainly, the two clubs are talking now. Which before we knew that Kuman liked him. Obviously, he's been very. Uh, they've had a really close relationship with the national team, and and, and I think Kuman, all from from the start, had him in the back of his his mind to bring him to Barcelona. Uh, the fight that now we know Suarez, Suarez is leaving to go to Juventus. Uh, I think clearly Memphis Depay is the number one option now to replace him at Barcelona. And Kuman really wants to work with him. I think he has a profile that, according to Kuman, can work at Barcelona the way they play with Griezmann and Messi and Fatih and Dembele uh, and Usman Dembele. Sorry, could work maybe. He's got only one year left on his contract at Lyon, so he will he will be cheap. It would be quite cheap. I think Lyon would be very happy with the 25 million, 30 million euro fee, which I think even in the current crisis at Barcelona is doable for them. So I really suspect that this one will go through. And that means that Moussa Dembele, for example, will stay at the club and at Lyon, maybe even Usem Awa, depending on what kind of offers Lyon can get for Awa. But certainly in terms of Dembele, he will stay. And for Depay, I think he came out the other day after the, uh, the league game saying, I never said I wanted to leave, which is not really true. He's been saying for 18 months. But I guess if Barcelona come, you can't really turn them down. So I think, yeah, this one will happen. What about the fact that they're not in Europe for the first time in a quarter of a century? Leon, beyond Depay, they'll have most of the players and uh, Marcao, of course, who's, who's gone to Wolves. Uh, how strong a challenge do you think they can mount now to, to Paris Saint-Germain? I mean, it will depend who they buy to replace Depay for sure now, whenever he goes. And then if they do lose Awa, who maybe more than Depay has been really the player for them because Depay has been injured for a lot since between December and, and June, really. So... I think Awa would be a, a much bigger loss, I think, than, than Depay would be. And if they were then to lose Awa and Depay together, which was always the plan anyway, it was two out of the three between Dembele, Awa and Depay. It all depends who they will replace them with. And I think if they can get good recruitment in, good players in, then I really think that with just one game a week, they can go and, and challenge PSG, who've already had a very strange start of the season, domestically at least, with a lot of... You know, players tested positive for COVID will probably miss their first game against Lens on Thursday, which is only two days after the France game against Croatia tonight, So, which is an absolute mess. Then they play Marseille um, in the Classic the following weekend. So again, Neymar and Co could miss that game. So, you know, with PSG not in the best of conditions right now, I think Lyon can, can certainly have a go, but it will all depend on who they can get to replace the, the big stars they will lose. Okay, they they've got a big game coming up on Friday, haven't they? Against Bordeaux. Yes, against Bordeaux. In the, yeah, on Friday night. Yeah. How's Nico Kovac getting on at Monaco, and how's Kevin Volan going to fit in there alongside uh, Ben Yedda? Yeah, I mean the bad news for Kovac is that he tested positive as well. Uh, yeah. The first manager in Ligue 1 to, to to be positive, which means that he obviously had to um, to quarantine, which hasn't been really ideal or ideal for him. Uh, although I guess the good thing was it was during the international break, but uh, they had a game, for example, a friendly game against Nice um, as a derby that he could not attend. He had to stay home and, and watch the game on his laptop and etc. So that hasn't been ideal. But before that, he'd been, I think, as I would expect him to be, I mean, Rafa can, can confirm it, but there are people in Monaco saying that he's obviously, he's come in with a lot of authority, quite a lot of discipline. He talks really loud, which is one of the surprising things that people in Monaco have told me. But he's, he's, he's there on the players' back. They, they, he wants them to play with a lot of intensity, with a lot of energy. 
He's got a lot of young players that he's really happy with. Some more experienced players like Volan, who's come from Bayer Leverkusen, who will play up front with Banier there. And I think those two can, can really work out, work well together. Golovin has showed good form as well um, before getting injured. But, but they had a draw and they had a win. Defensively, they look strong, which I think, again, is what you can expect from a Kovac team. But it'd be very interesting with the season going in. And again, they, they're not in Europe like Lyon. So I think they would try to get another two or three players. And depending on those players, you could expect them, if, if the team gels quickly, if Kovac really gets his message across and is the right message, I think you could expect them to have a, a really interesting start of the season. He talks loudly, Jules. Uh, yeah, that's what they said in Monaco. I don't, I don't know if he shouts or if he is just very enthusiastic or, or it's just... a small place, Monaco. It mm. is a small place. The, okay. In the Louis II Stadium, especially with no... Uh, they have more fans now than they had when there was no uh, restrictions, but still, um, you know, you, you hear him a lot. Jules, uh, Ren qualified for the Champions League and uh, judging by some of the players that they're interested in signing there. They're not afraid to spend a bit of money uh, this summer. And uh, it looks like they're going to try and take Diego Godin from, from Inter. Um, they've got a few kids coming through who uh, I think they're looking to cash in on, or at least even if they keep, you know, they'll be able to make a lot of money from them in the near future. Yeah, you're right. It's a very interesting project because, I mean, they have uh, the new uh, French prodigy, Eduardo Camavinga, who's only 17, who could play tonight against Croatia, making his debut, and who would become the youngest player since World War, uh, you know, post-World War II to, um, to play for France, who is an incredible, really incredible talent who will stay, will stay this season, but probably leave for around 100 million next summer. And then you're right, but it's interesting because they wanted Tomori from Chelsea and now they want Godin from Inter Milan. And you, between Tomori and Godin, you could, there's, there's, there's just, I don't know what the, the idea was, but they, they saw two different extreme players. But... But yeah, I think they, they want to have a proper goal. What, what really made a difference was that Sevilla won the Europa League, which meant that they would go straight into the group set of the Champions League. Then, instead of having to go through the qualifiers and the playoffs and etc., which, depending on who you play against, you, it's not guaranteed. Now they know that they will have all that money from the group stage guaranteed. Uh, and they want to build a very strong team. They, I think they will lose uh, their goalkeeper, Mendy, who will go to Chelsea. And it'd be interesting, again, to see who they replace with. Maybe Areola from PSG, who was at Real Madrid on loan. Uh, but they certainly have big ambitions. And let's not forget that the owner, uh, the Pino family, is one of the richest families in, in Europe. Uh, and, you know, Salma Hayek is also part of the family. So it's a very glamorous club with a lot of money and clearly good ideas. OK, this Mendy fellow going to Chelsea, Jules, is that happening? What's he like? Yeah, I think it will happen. He's a, he's a, he's a late bloomer uh, because... When he was younger, things didn't happen for him at academy level, for example. He had to go through the lower leagues. It won't be a surprise that he's also this good because he's Paris born and bred. But, but he's had the last two seasons absolutely incredible. Uh, and he's really tall, which for Christophe Lolichon, the um, head of the, 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 the keeper side at Chelsea, if you want, is very important. He's 1m97. And they signed Petr Cech from Rennes. Yeah, of course. All, it's all, you know. Yeah, and I, and I think he's also much cheaper than a Jan Oblak, for example, but with, with still a lot of room for improvement. And I think that's probably what Lolichon and Czech and, and Lampard like. So I think he'd be a very interesting signing for them. One metre 97. Yeah. That's big. He's really, really tall, yeah. But he's still very <laughs> on his line. Uh, he had an incredible season last year and the year before as well, before moving to Rennes. So, uh, so it's just seemed that every time he has to step up, he does. Right. He'll hit his head, no? Yeah, but it doesn't mean that he said, yeah. It doesn't mean that he will, you know, come in and, and start all the games and, and go ahead of Kepa and, and Big Willy. But certainly, I think he'd be a very interesting signing. And if he shows all his talent at training, I think he would, he would certainly play. All right, Jules. What a, what a fascinating little look at league. Uh, any other questions for Jules, Alvaro? Yeah, I would like, I would like to know uh, what are the realistic chances of Olympique Marseille this season? Where do you think they will finish? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, I think they overachieved and, and Andre Villas-Boas would agree with that last season, finishing second, especially with the season cut short. Do you remember there was all those rumours or allegations about why uh, President Macron decided to, to stop the season so early as a Marseille fan and with close ties to the club and etc. But they would be in the Champions League for the first time in seven years. They would go for it. I don't think they've got the depth in the squad to be able to, to have a proper go at the league Challenge, like we said, with Monaco and Lyon, who won't play in Europe. But they made a 
few interesting recruits like like Nagatomo, for example. They wanted experience at the back. They they got that with him. I think they they will go for JJ Masia, the very um, talented young Mexican striker. They've also got Balerdi, the younger Argentine from a centre back from from Borussia Dortmund on loan. So they don't have much money to spend. FFP has sanctioned them already, so they have to be careful. But I think AVB is really quite optimistic about the season. So it'd be very interesting to see how they do. Thanks, Jules. Well, Italy and Germany still 10 to 12 days away from their restarts, but let's get the latest uh, from their pre-season after this. All right, Dave, how goes the car sales industry? Good, yeah. Sold a car to Ed Woodward last week. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was a 20 grand car, but I said I'd sell it to him for 30, and he came back and said he'd give me 25 plus another 10 grand based on performance. Ah, the silly season is upon us. The transfer window. And Paddy Power have got odds on all the transfer rumours on our football specials page, whether it's Messi to Man City or Ronaldo to Bristol City. And if it's not there, just tweet us using the hashtag WhatOddsPaddy. Paddy Power. 18 plus begumbleware.org. T's and C's apply. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. James, City A. Inter once again, making headlines, making big signings. Is this what Suning are spending all the money they didn't pay the Premier League on? The likes of Vidal, uh, Hakimi, of course, who's coming from Real Madrid, and possibly N'Golo Kante? Well, I think Kante, it's going to be a difficult ask for them to sign a player like him, given that Chelsea is not the cheapest shop um, to go uh, buying in. Um, But, you know... Ultimately, I think what's kind of quite curious about Inter's business is, yes, they did some of it early um, with Hakimi coming in for, what, 40 million. Seems like a perfect signing for Antonio Conte's 3-5-2 system. Um, But Vidal, yeah, that is a reunion. Conte getting the guy who he did so well with at uh, at Juventus back under his wing. He famously said that he would go to war with Vidal. um, so keep abreast of that. But that is that's not going to be a big investment. That is contingent on Vidal getting out of his contract at Barcelona and signing for free. And this is the biggest story, really, is that you know Antonio Conte was told in no uncertain terms when he uh, decided to commit himself to Inter at, in talks at the end of uh, last season um, that there isn't a lot of money to spend, um, that COVID has hit uh, Inter really hard. Um, and that they will not be able um, to invest in the manner that they did last summer, for example, when they went big on a number of players, most notably Lukaku, Barella. Um, So it's at the moment down to whether they can get some players out, and that's difficult because aside from Mario Cardi, who's gone to Paris Saint-Germain on a reduced rate from what they initially agreed, they haven't been able to sell Perisic just yet to Bayern Munich. They haven't been able to sell Rajana Ingolan, Jao uh, Mario. They haven't been able to sell all these players who were out on loan last year and are hoping to get money for. Um, they haven't um, up until now. So um, it is kind of austerity into um, at the moment. Um, they had to pull out of signing Sandro Tonali, for example, mm. um, as well. So They had to leave poor Leo Messi in Barcelona as well. <laughs> Rafa, I think you wanted to leap in. Yeah, just two things. Uh, um, the latest information I've heard from Munich is that Paris is just unlikely to to stay at Bayern, uh, that there's probably not going to be a deal being made with Inter for a number of reasons. But what I wanted to ask you, James, is if he hasn't, uh, Conte hasn't won any concessions as far as investment is concerned, what, if anything, did he gain from going so public with his grievances after the Europa League? Well, very little. Um, ultimately, I think he played the ultimate power play, um, a little bit like Lionel Messi did, and and yet uh, there's very little that he he has been able to win change over um, because the same people who are in charge of recruitment are in place, um, and I think he has ultimately taken the view that maybe they can improve what they've already got. And I'm not just talking. Uh, in terms of the players, but you know he's asked for certain changes within the club in terms of like how comms is deal- dealt with, how they protect him and the players better from scrutiny in the press, allows them to get on with their job that little bit better. Whether that's going to be able, whether they're going to achieve that or not, I don't know. But I also think ultimately Inter will look at this and think, hang on a minute, 
Juventus have changed their manager and they've they've put in this this rookie guy called Andrea Pirlo. Um, and we're not that far away from being able to compete for the Scudetto, uh, you know, as we are already, you know, kind of composed in terms of the team that they've put together over the last, what, two transfer windows under Conte. But, you know, it's, it's going to be very interesting to see whether he can keep his counsel because even after the massive spend that they had last year, you know, it didn't take long for him to start complaining. And, um, you know, given at the moment it's unlikely, um, unless they can bring in money from those players that I mentioned, it's unlikely that they're going to invest heavily in the squad between now and the end of October. He's just going to have to make do and mend. All right. As you mentioned, uh, Juve tantalisingly close at the end of last season, just one point above the Nerazzurri. Juve, who in their uh, reinforcements have, well, seem to be bringing back Luis Suarez. Uh, he's currently in, in a race for an Italian passport to be able uh, to take the field for Juve. Of course, there's that interesting reunion in prospect with him and Giorgio Collini. Non possiamo permetterci di perdere un altro giocatore. Yeah, tasty reunion, uh, given what happened to them in the 2014 World Cup in Brazil, where uh, Suarez decided to take a bite out of Chiellini's uh, shoulder. Um, But uh, as Chiellini said in his book, um, yeah, they've spoken on the phone. There's no hard feelings there. It's it's fine. Um, Looking forward to playing together if they are able to get this deal over the line and uh, Suarez is able to pass what a rudimentary Italian exam um, in order to get a fast-tracked passport um, because his wife um, has one but he doesn't um, at the moment Um, but you know it's quite curious because you know it's it, it was very clear from the start of last season that Juventus lacked uh, a centre forward who's compatible with Cristiano Ronaldo um, they think one of Suarez, Jekyll, and Milik is that guy. Um, they've been spinning a lot of plates. It basically, you know, depends on who can get themselves free earlier, and it looks like it's going to be uh, be Suarez. Um, but as we saw after Juventus were eliminated by Lyon in the Champions League, Andrea Agnelli came out and said, "Look, I hear everyone tell me, yeah, God, you've got an old team. Wow, you've got an old team." And they're signing Luis Suarez, who's who's 34. But <laughs> the, the reality is, is that if you look at the rest of their business, all the other guys are kind of the average age, is, I think, 22 of McKenney, Artur, Dejan Kulusevski, who was um, left out by Sweden in their in their friendly this week, um, which provoked. He came it. on. He but came on late. He came on late, but uh, yeah. you had uh, Zlatan was not particularly impressed with the way he was uh, he was being managed. Um, I think he called it a effing joke. Uh, right. So there you go. Do you, what, what do you make of the notion of... So today's Gazetta, for example, was talking about a, a front three of Dybala, Ronaldo uh, and Suarez, and they, they, they included the word sacrificio in there, <laughs> like, you know, willingness to kind of work hard for the team and, and tackle back to make it all happen. How do you think, do all of you, the, the, the Suarez, uh, if that's the front three they're going to go with, how do you think it's going to work out? Well... Number one, this is really difficult to manage for for a coach because uh, at Barcelona we've been seeing over the last three years that if three or two players don't defend in European football at the final stages, it's almost impossible to win. So it will require like a, a lot of uh, coach ability from uh, Pirlo this time uh, to manage to get the best of the other nine players defensively. And uh, then... The team that gets Luis Suarez, I mean, you have to take into consideration that he's turning 34 next year. His knee will never be what it was before. I mean, he has had so many problems in there. But Luis Suarez is great for 25 or 30 games per season. Uh, Last season, he scored 21 goals and he was injured for a long time. He didn't play well, but still, he managed to net 21 goals. Quite impressive. So if Juve gets the best of Luis Suarez, at least for, let's say, the important games and the difficult games away in the season. They are going to get a great asset. All right, it's certainly going to be exciting. Watch them try. Other Italian news includes uh, Josip Ilicic returning to Atlanta. Great to see him back and and, uh, hopefully you take the field soon. Uh, Daniel Maldini also getting his debut goal at San Siro uh, for Milan in their uh, friendly with Monza. James? Yes, it was a friendly. Um, but uh, yeah, good to see Daniel score after making his debut, what, uh, nine or so months ago. 
And I think Milan so far have done the best business of the transfer window in Italy um, by signing Tonali, which you know is expected to be made official over the next few days. Uh, Brahim Diaz um, as well, signing him from from Real Madrid, uh, very versatile attacker. And yeah, I think across the board they've um, obviously managed to extend Zlatan's contract, but for the most part their business has been. Um, signing very young players in keeping with what they were doing really for the last uh, for last year in terms of their recruitment strategy, I think there's there's quite a lot of excitement uh, at Milan about this upcoming seasons, uh, particularly given how well they finished the last one. I think after lockdown, the only team in Europe that had a better um, points per game record than than Milan was it was Real Madrid. Um, so yeah, I think uh, some some signs of promise there from the uh, the Rossoneri. James, do you think do you think Tonali and Benassia will play together, or the arrival of Tonali means that Benassia will be sold? No, no. I think uh, they they always they felt they were short in midfield, particularly when they went to a four two three one. They've let Lucas Billia go on a free transfer, uh, Giacomo Bonaventura as well. So they wanted to bring in two players to basically complement the guys that they've got, which are going to be uh, Tonali, and they, they hope to sign one of Bakayoko uh, from Chelsea or Florentino from Benfica. Um, but Tonali's very versatile. You know, I think a lot of people think he's this new Pirlo figure. I don't think he, he's, he, aside from playing for Brescia and having long hair, I don't think he resembles Pirlo anywhere near as much as people think he is. I think he's much more kind of a Dimitri Albertini, Daniele De Rossi kind of player. You know, he can play across the midfield, either in front of the defence as a six, as an eight. And I think that's one of the things that really appeals, to, well, to a lot of clubs, not just Milan, about him. Mm, excellent. Serie A will be back in action the weekend after next, as will the Bundesliga, Rafa, although you've got the first round of the Pokal uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, ahead of that, uh, what's the big news in Germany? Well, I think the big news is, is people are still waiting for, for things to happen, um, especially when it comes to, to Bayern. Um, the one big question is over, over Thiago's future. Um, the Bayern team have met up on Monday for their corona testing, and they're still waiting for somebody to, to make a move for him. Um, he did say goodbye to some of the teammates, even though he publicly said uh, in the Spain conference that that wasn't true. Uh, but so far, no one's actually come in and made an offer. And uh, Bayern are beginning to wonder if this is um, still happening or if he maybe, um, you know, is trying to run down his contract, which I think is unlikely. But, you know, it's not a um, possibility that can be ruled out completely. There is still hope that David Alaba will renew his contract. He's also um, out next next summer. But um, there, there is, I think, more hope. Uh, on Bayern's behalf, that he will ultimately decide to to stay, having I think his ambition to move to Spain thwarted by the situation, as far as the two top dogs in in La Liga were concerned. There just isn't the the money available, it seems, for a for trends of his caliber to be pulled off. Mm. Given the way that other big names have left the Bundesliga and Bayern look pretty much as strong, if not stronger than ever, with Leroy Sané. Uh, joining them. How are the prospects for a title race uh, in Germany this time around? Well, we had a good title race last year. Uh, I think ultimately Bayern just pulled away with that perfect form since the restart. But um, you'll remember, James, that before the winter break, uh, Leipzig were top, Gladbach were top, uh, Dortmund looked like they were really in it. And it's just towards the, the latter half of the season that, that Bayern um, started dominating again. And I think it could well be a similar story um, Dortmund so far have been able to hold on to all of their big players. They haven't seen any big departures, which is um, encouraging. Um, the same cannot really be said for Leverkusen, of course. They're smarting. And Leipzig are still looking for a, a proper replacement for Timo Werner, their main striker. So I think on the whole, it's going to be difficult for, for the rest. And um, the big difference, I think, or the big problem seems to be that this Bayern team, having won the trouble, you'd think maybe they'll just ease up a little bit and just let it go. But they don't seem to have that kind of capacity to just play um, and go through the motions. They are so hungry. They want to win all the time. They're, they're self-coached to a large extent as far as motivation is concerned. And it's going to be really, really tricky, especially if you consider the fact that this Champions League team now has the addition of Leroy Sané um, up front. 
So it's hard to see them really dropping off that much. Mm. On the subject of, of Dortmund, uh, if you had to bet large sums on on where Jaden Sancho would be in a month's time, where would that be? And also, is there much excitement uh, or, or further excitement in Dortmund over Jude Bellingham's uh, arrival, given what he did this weekend for England's under-21s? Yeah, there's definitely been excitement about uh, Bellingham. He's made some really good impressions in, in some of the test games, some of the friendly games. I think there's great hope that he can be perhaps more quickly a real alternative for the starting eleven than anticipated. Dortmund have sort of internally said that they expect him to be in contention by January, February, but maybe as far as the starting eleven is concerned, but maybe that can go a little bit quicker. I think Moda Hood picked up an injury. So there is perhaps availability um in, in midfield and of course the season is so congested and will bring so many games that I think we'll see him perhaps in action a little bit earlier. If I had to bet a lot of money on, on Jaden Sancho staying or leaving at this moment in time, I think it's still much more likely that he will stay because of that very public deadline that Dortmund have set. Um, United, I think, are still saying, look, um, if we put up the money, then maybe a deal can be done. But I think it's going to be very difficult for Dortmund to climb down, um, having really gone out on a limb to say August or nothing. And this was a month ago nearly. I think 10th of August was the deadline that they set themselves and that was then publicised. So while it's not impossible, I think it's it's very unlikely that he will still leave. Rafi, Ralph Ranjik has left the RB group. Do we, are we any closer to knowing what he would like to do? He gave an interview in Italy the other day. He seemed to be quite interested in the takeover at Roma. But yeah, I just wondered if, uh, if there was any more updates on, on what Ralph is doing. Yeah, I think his preferred destination still is the Premier League. I think he has a um, romantic association with the league, having played in England as a as a youngster when he was studying um, on the south coast somewhere. Forgot now, um, back in the in the seventies uh, or maybe early eighties, and he came very close to taking the Everton job ahead of Carlo Ancelotti, and I think he feels that ultimately that should still be uh, maybe his fight the final act to his managerial career, which has seen a lot of sustained success, but perhaps more in the background than a person of his importance warrants. And I think he wants to have that one more, um, maybe very public, very high-profile job to kind of validate his career. Um, and I think he, he, he deserves that shot. But I think he's also realistic. When you look at the top six, top eight teams in, in the Premier League, there's unlikely to be an opening anytime soon. Maybe come October, November, when you know one of those sides are maybe underachieving, uh, then I think his name will be very much in contention. I think until then, he wants to be in a position where he'll be considered one of the contenders if those openings uh, come up. Alrighty. Well, La Liga gets underway this coming weekend. And after this, let's get the latest on how they're lining up from Alvaro Romeo. Listener, the new season is here and what better way to celebrate than watching a game with a couple of cold ones courtesy of our pals at Beer 52. They want to give all Totally Football Show listeners a case of eight craft beers sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet for free. All you have to do is head to beer52.com slash football and cover the cost of shipping, which is a mere $5.95. Beer 52 are beer pioneers working with small batch breweries from all over the world to bring you hoppy IPAs, crisp lagers and silky stouts from places like New Zealand, South Africa and even South Korea. You can choose a light, dark or mixed case. And the best thing with Beer 52 is that there's absolutely no minimum commitment. If you want, you can just take this free case, try the beers and if you decide it's not for you, you can pause or cancel your subscription at any time. So head to beer52.com slash football and get your free case of eight craft beers today. That's the word beer and the number 52.com slash football. One last time, beer52.com slash football. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Alvaro, the new Liga campaign getting underway this weekend. How, how much of this is dominated by the uh, Ronald Revolution in Catalonia? Well, it's it's been the messy revolution so far. I think that it's still a little bit too early to 
judge on Ronald Koeman, let alone talk about revolution, because all the headlines have been just taken by Lionel Messi for obvious reasons. And the thing is that uh, today he attended the training ground for the first time in a couple of weeks after saying that uh, he wanted to leave, after sending a, a bureau fax to Barcelona headquarters uh, saying that he left. Uh, that didn't happen, and uh, now it's very important to see how the things will unroll for Lionel Messi, because uh, one of the things, James, that he said uh, about uh, not having been very happy with the locker room last season, I think that uh, he's going to put himself before the locker room now. And let's see how they welcome him. Uh, this is very important. And let's see what kind of feeling he's got with Ronald Koeman now. This is very important, too. Who's going to welcome him badly? I mean, this is his dressing room anyway. Like, do you know what I mean? Like... He's going to walk in. Who's going to say, ah, oh, that was mean what you said? Like, who's going to, no one's going to say anything, right? Yeah, that's the problem. That maybe that silence is more telling than anything mm. else. Uh, look, uh, nobody in social media from Barcelona players uh, have defended publicly Lionel Messi. And this is a club and this is a squad that has um, released statements and has posted pictures against Bartomeu in the past. For example, when Neymar left. They haven't done it with Lionel Messi this time. At the time in summer 2017, uh, Piqué was uh, sending a post saying he stays and referring to Neymar. Uh, nothing like that about Lionel Messi. He is probably a little bit more alone than uh, we may think. Uh, and two of his best friends are living, Arturo Vidal and Luis Suarez. So I really want to see how he's going to feel. Uh, I remember that last season, after a couple of really disappointing games by Barcelona, uh, there were some insinuations by players, one of them being Ter Stegen after playing in Prague, that um, the team needed to change a lot in a game that Messi and Suarez didn't defend a lot and Barcelona managed to get a draw miraculously in Prague. So I think that there is a little bit of remorse for what Messi gives to the team, but also what he doesn't give to the team. So yeah, that revolution hasn't happened, but uh, let's see uh, who Barcelona is able to, to sign first, because we know that they are going to offload players, uh, Luis Suárez, Arturo Vidal, Rakitic went to Sevilla for peanuts, uh, Barcelona as a club is very bad selling at this time uh, and over the last years, so let's see who comes, because if Memphis and uh, Georgino Wignaldum come, uh, Barcelona is going to be a team that resembles a bit more uh, Kuman's idea, but maybe not what Barcelona purists want, which is Thiago coming back and the youngsters, uh, the likes of uh, Ansu Fati and Pedri who comes from Las Palmas and Ricky uh, from, the, from the B team uh, having more minutes in the team. So I think that this is a difficult job for Kuman and it's still to be seen what he's going to do, whether he's going to do a proper revolution or whether he's going to make an evolution of Barcelona. All right, nice. Uh, Omar7700 wants to know what the prospects will be for Coutinho, who's returning to base because nobody else wanted him. Well, he starts from scratch. He will have an opportunity uh, playing for Barcelona again. And I think that uh, he will be looked at uh, with fresh eyes, like many, many other players. So I think that this is a, perhaps a promising time for him because he's not on loan at Bayern. He's got a new manager at Barcelona. And why not? I mean, there are some positions up for grabs in the team. Uh, last season... Artur or Rakitic didn't work as midfielders. Coutinho is back. Uh, he will have to fight for a position with Pjanic. Uh, and um, not only Pjanic, but also whoever plays on the left, who seems to be Frankie de Jong. And yeah, as I said before, I mean, this is a good opportunity for Coutinho to, to show that he's the player who is capable of uh, scoring 10 or 11 goals as he did for Liverpool repeatedly over a few seasons. We spoke about the Messi business on, on Monday show. MSB Teresa was underwhelmed by our analysis and says, uh, did you miss the part where the president went back on his agreement with Messi? So this is the idea that he had promised Messi he could leave if Leo gave the word and then the club would kind of dial back on that. How true reading is that, Alvaro? The truth here is that Lionel Messi wanted to leave and Barcelona didn't let him leave. The most practical thing probably for Bartomeu would have been letting Messi go for maybe 100 million like Real Madrid did with Cristiano Ronaldo and uh, trying to build a new team with Messi's money. But it would have been terrifying that uh, Bartomeu uh, went to the market with 100 million because historically he has proven that he, he and his sporting directors, whoever they are, they are incapable of signing uh, players for a decent price. So I think that what the interviews show is that Lionel Messi has a tremendous power. I mean, no sportsman, only Michael Jordan, perhaps in the Bulls or 
Brady in American football has had the same level of power in a club. Lionel Messi has basically incinerated his boss, his president, his employer, saying all the things that uh, many Barcelona angry fans were thinking. I think that Lionel Messi has a tremendous power at Barcelona, but I don't know if he's got trem a tremendous support. So this is a little bit like starting from, from a very difficult position for him. But ideally, ideally, if he can understand that playing alongside Fati or Dembélé or Memphis, if he ends up playing for Barcelona, that he can find the third youth playing with these players, uh, players that do the runs for him and he becomes a passer, as he wanted to be last season, but passing the ball to players who didn't run, like Suárez or Vidal, maybe maybe this can be like a good uh, rejuvenating experience for Lionel Messi as well, because Fati has proven that he can be that guy who does, or that player in which you can delegate some dribbling responsibilities that Messi had last season on his own. So from the game point of view, I think that for Messi, the thing is not that catastrophic because he's going to be surrounded by quick, young players, which is that he needs at the minute. Is there any word of, of say, uh, Amazon España doing a fly-on-the-wall documentary? Because uh, inside the dressing room scenes of this whole new Liga campaign, particularly in Barcelona, I think would be TV gold. It would be fantastic. Uh, there was a documentary of Barcelona two seasons ago, and uh -huh. it was really good already. Uh, this one being able to see what happened after Liverpool's game mm. but yeah I, I don't think that there is anything uh, from this uh, month that has been recorded as far as I know uh, unfortunately the last thing we have from La Liga is Sergio Ramos documentary which I don't recommend really? to, to anybody yeah. just imagine what Antoine Griezmann was thinking when when Messi said he was staying especially after speaking to Ronald Koeman and Koeman saying to Griezmann, I'm going to play you in your best position, you know, um, things are going to, it's going to be much better for you, etc., etc. And now with Messi staying, I don't think there's, there's any best position for Griezmann. Griezmann will have to pretty much do the same as he did last season, which clearly didn't work out for him at all. And maybe he had such a bad game with France on Saturday against Sweden because of the sort of backlash in his head about what happened to Messi and, and everything. Mm. Alvaro, let's touch quickly on uh, some of the other sides. You mentioned Rakitic has moved to Sevilla, who freshly crowned Europa League champions under Yulan Lopetegui. He fills in the kind of Eva Benega position, does he, for, for them? And, and what are their prospects of stepping up into the top three in La Liga? Top three is possible. Uh, fighting for the title, that's going to be very difficult because for Sevilla to fight for the title... La Liga has to be won by 80 points, but not more. I don't think that Sevilla is capable of doing more than 80 points. But at the same time, even though Real Madrid was very good in the final third of last season, for me, it's still to be confirmed whether they are a top European team or not. I think that they, they are not at that level yet. Barcelona is a walking mystery at the minute with a new manager, a player, a star who didn't want to play and stay there. And Atlético de Madrid uh, will know what uh, their strengths and weaknesses are. So if the league is, as I said before, uh, very competitive and none of the top three teams are especially convincing, I think that Sevilla can have a genuine chance at least of uh, getting to arriving in April with a genuine chance of uh, shaking the status quo. Rakit is a good player, definitely, and I like Oscar Rodriguez as well. Um, the players signed from Leganés, one of the players in Europe with uh, the best scoring ratio from outside the box, apart from Lionel Messi. And the best thing for Sevilla is that they haven't lost any important players yet. It looks like uh, Diego Carlos, the defender, maybe on his departure uh, from Sevilla, but that will be so far the only important player that they lose, apart from Eber Vanega, who was going to leave anyway. OK, uh, two more questions from me. I'm not sure if anybody else has got any things they'd like to know from La Liga. One is... Uh, weekly inquiry about Gareth Bale's future and secondly how bad are things looking at Valencia uh, with uh, well, half the squad leaving well let's start with uh, Gareth Bale very quickly I mean the player has said that he wanted to leave uh, Real Madrid uh, doesn't want to let him go for nothing uh, mm. at the minute unlike Barcelona Barcelona's policy with Arturo Vidal or Luis Suarez uh, who may be living on the cheap or for no fee whatsoever and Real Madrid uh, has so many players that it's a little bit difficult to understand why they don't uh, try to open the door to Gareth Bale and uh, let him go. Because 
as uh, James said before, Atraf Hakimi has been uh, sold to Inter for 40 million. But the amount of Real Madrid players that are on loan uh, here and there is astonishing. I mean, uh, as soon as they regroup these players, uh, their squad is going to be a 31 or 32 men squad. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Rainier to Dortmund, uh, Brahim Diaz to Milan, uh, Reguilón, he's uh, still at Real Madrid, but he will be offload, Dani Ceballos to Arsenal. So I don't know why they don't try to find a solution for Gareth Bale uh, that uh, will uh, satisfy both parties. And when it comes to Valencia, well, the exodus in that team has been very remarkable this summer. Uh, Ferran Torres, uh, Coquelin, Parejo, Rodrigo, even Garay uh, are leaving. Garay was a very important defender too. And uh, the truth is that Ever since Marcelino left last August, all the problems that Valencia had exploded all together. Uh, the players weren't happy with the with the owner, Peter Lim, and Marcelino was the only one that they were playing for. The players were very attached to the manager. Well, Marcelino left last season was difficult for Valencianismo, and uh, then the messages that come from the ownership itself are so strong that they they enter like a, you know an arrow in the flesh. I mean, uh, the daughter of uh, Peter Lim, Valencia's uh, owner, said in the at the beginning of July that uh, he sent a message to Valencia supporters saying, "You don't understand it. Uh, the club is ours," meaning that no matter what Valencia players or Valencia fans they say or they complain about, they're going to do whatever they want. And simply, they don't want to invest any money in the club. And it's a real shame because Valencia uh, has played Champions League football for two seasons in a row, and this season they are out of Europe. I don't know if Javi Gracia, the new manager, is going to be the manager who is able to glue the relationship between the ownership, the fans, and the players. But I find it very unlikely. I think that this is a very difficult job for Javi Gracia. Mm, another one. OK, well, the Liga campaign gets underway uh, this weekend. We've got some more questions for the boys very, very shortly. First of all, though, let's get some odds from Lee Price. Hello, listener. Let's do some title talk with numbers, shall we? I'm going to begin in Italy because that's where Paddy Power is predicting the closest title race in Europe. Or something like that, anyway. Juventus, for the first time in what feels like a lifetime, are not odds-on favourites to win Serie A. Instead, they're priced to evens. The absolute losers. That's because Inter come on leaps and bounds, and they're priced at 2-1 to one to take the title. Elsewhere, you've got Atalanta at 9-1, to one, Napoli and AC Milan at 11-1, to one, and Lazio, who were challengers not that long ago, 17-1. to one. In Spain, it's close, but not that close. Real Madrid are odds-on to win the league again. They're 8-13. to 13. Barcelona are 15 to 8. Write them off at your peril. That could be value. Atletico 9 to 1. And then things get a little bit less close. Germany. Bayern Munich are 1 to 7 to win the Bundesliga. Dortmund 6 to 1. Leipzig 14 to 1. That's a one horse race, we think. But even more of a race than this one. Liga. PSG are 1 to 25 to be champions. That means if you fancy PSG, you have to bet £25 to win £1 back. I'm not sure anyone's doing that. Leon are their closest competitors, we think, at 16 to 1. Ouch. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Uh, here's some questions. Kind listeners writing in. Zabo Martin Benz has a question for James about Milan getting Tonali ahead of Inter, but we talked about that already. So then let's move on to the second part of the question, which is, Rafa, any chance that Lucas Hernandez can be loaned out this season? Uh, very difficult. I don't think um, neither he nor Bayern want to loan him out. They're, they'll need him next season. Um, I think there is still some scepticism in parts of the uh, local media because of his huge price tag. It cost €80 million, Euros, Bayern's record signing. Um, injuries have made it difficult for him to hold on, hold down a starting position, but it hasn't reached a stage yet where Bayern would want to get rid of him. I think they might listen to some big offers if they were somehow able to recoup a lot of that money. They might consider it in theory, but I don't think it's actually a real possibility in this market that somebody would come anywhere near the valuation they would uh, starting to consider when it comes to selling him and there's just no benefit for them to to loaning him if anything they want to add players because they recognize it's going to be such a difficult season in terms of the scheduling okay tom trevayan says roma update please what has happened to changes under in the past couple of years is zaniolo set to stay james 
Well, Roma have to bring the wage bill down. They have to make some sales, but they're looking to get uh, veteran players off the books and one or two of the kind of young guys that uh, that Monchi brought in. Uh, one of them's already gone or going, which is Patrick Schick. He'll go to Bayer Leverkusen to fill some of the hole left in that attack by Kai Havertz. Um, and Undair, a fantastic talent. Um but one of, I think, their most saleable assets. Um, more so, I think, than maybe Justin Cliver. It just doesn't have the same amount of interest that Cengiz does. be a bit of a shame to see him go, but I think, you know, as we saw over the last nine months when Nicolo Zaniolo was fit, um, Fonseca tended to play him on the right-hand side, which is where, where Cengiz under tends to play as well. Uh, Mikitayan can play almost across that three-quarter line, if you want to call it that as well. So he's one of the players that they can they can make a lot of money from. Um, yeah, they they would like to swap him for Arcadius Milik in the uh, in the eventuality that uh, Jeko leaves. Um, but I think that at the moment is still uh, up in the air. You know, as with everything in in uh, in Europe at the moment, there's so so little liquidity around that a lot of a lot of clubs are looking to do swap deals like that one, like the one we've seen with uh, Pjanic and Artur. But yeah, I think uh, Napoli definitely want a right-sided player. They've looked at Jeremy Boga, who's why I asked Jules about Ren because Boga's been linked with them as well. But he's very expensive to sign out of out of Sassuolo. Um, Unde is one of the players that Napoli uh, Napoli are looking at. Okay, Sicilian Crest asks which of the European big leagues is most likely to have a change of champion, and why is it Italy? Not sure if that's a an assertion you guys would agree with? Spain and England. Spain and England, Definitely. Right. I don't see okay. any changes happening in the rest of the three leagues. Oh, really? I think that Juve is going to win it, PSG and Bayern. We'll I have to see about Juve um, because, you know, ultimately it's Pilo's first first ever job. Uh, there were structural problems in the team last year that they need to overcome and it's a difficult market for them to... To be able to do that, um, Pilos definitely put a really good coaching staff together, but I have to see, Inter got very close last year. I know they got close ultimately because Juventus kind of took their foot off the gas and were looking towards the Champions League towards the end of the season, but um, you know, I imagine Inter will push them hard again. Okay. Paddy O'Brien wants to know, is there any risk that the Ligue 1 season may be called off again with the title rewarded on points per game now that Marseille have a 100% record? <laughs> that's that'd be good for Marseille fans. We've had a, a lot of problems with with players testing positive for for COVID nineteen, which I guess I, I guess clubs and the league expected, but maybe not to this extent. I mean, the the PSG situation right now is quite incredible if you think about it. That they've got six players right now, all in quarantine. Quarantine, sorry, after going to to Ibiza, and maybe getting the the. The, the virus there, although Leonardo on Sunday night on French television defended the players by saying, well, but Bayern Munich players also went to Ibiza and other clubs, all the players, and they didn't, they didn't catch it there. So it's not just us, but Neymar and Marquinhos and Icardi and Navas, um, Paredes, who spent a lot of time together in Ibiza, but also spent a lot of time partying in Ibiza with other people. Maybe it comes from there, but... To just think that Neymar might miss the next two, the first PSG two games against Lens and Marseille is huge. And then everywhere, in every club, you've had positive cases to the point that the league is thinking about changing the protocol, which was before, if you have four players uh, in the week before your game positive, then the game has to be postponed, regardless of if the other team that you're playing against have all their squad available, if you still have 20 players left in your squad or 25 players even for the big clubs. If you have... Four, at least four positive cases, then you have to postpone your game, which could be a nightmare in such a tight season schedule, as we've been saying since the start of the show. So they're thinking about maybe changing that a bit. And regardless of how many positive cases you have, you still have to play, even if that means you have to field your B team or your reserve or your kids team or whatever. But you can't keep postponing games all the time if you've got players testing positive, sometimes with no symptoms as well. So it's a very, really difficult situation. I don't think the, the, the league will stop. But you just have to find a way of making everybody happy in the way that you can continue the season, even if it's positive, then so be it. But right now, it's a, it's a difficult start of the season. Mm. It's going to be a dramatic campaign, that's for sure. You can follow it right the way through with us here, of course, on the Totally Football Show's European edition. That brings us to the end of 
today's one, though. So many, many thanks to Alvaro, Jules, Rafa and James and producer Charlie and you, listener. Do join us again in a week's time where we'll have the first round of Liga uh, games to uh, talk about and more from Ligue 1 and all sorts of other stuff as well. See you in a week, listener. Have a great time till then. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. Muddy Knees Media.